goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. It is the Tuesday edition of Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour here on WABC Talk Radio 77. If you'd like to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800 800- Eight four eight nine two two two. There's so much in the news, and we're going to bypass a lot of it today. Because <laughs> let me just give you a hint at what we're going to be bypassing. Okay, so you can't say I didn't do it. We didn't talk about it a little bit. You all heard about uh, Karine Jean Pierre's uh, latest, the Nordstrom, the uh, business. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard that. Okay. Yes, and if you didn't hear, do you have it? Matter of fact, I do. Okay, Kev. Let us so, about yes, you've heard you. us say this that what, you've heard what us we say see all this Russia's time. doing, and we've been very clear about this, is that they're using energy, they're weaponizing energy, and it's choosing to. to one of the things that uh, has been out there to shut down the pipeline of Nordstrom One. Yeah, so they're going to shut down Nordstrom Rack, Nordstrom One, and <laughs> you're going to have to go to Bloomingdale's to get your energy. Woo! That's. That's your press secretary. Get your words straight, Jack. She's cute girl, so stop it already. Don't mock her. She's cute. Come on, man. Uh, Hillary Clinton says she's never, never, ever, never, never going to ever run for president again. And she wants Republicans like you, conservatives, to get a backbone, grow something, so that you will not nominate Donald Trump. And, yes, your reaction is what? Oh, I didn't know I was on, but it's. Um, I'd like to discuss that because we don't need a backbone. We need a backbone to support him because he's being maligned unfairly all over the world, and he is the one guy who will stand in the breach against the crazy left. He and DeSantis. I love DeSantis. Too, you do? Okay. What about you? I think Hillary will say anything at this point. <laughs> you know, you have the most beautiful brown eyes. Did your husband, your husband Thank you. must tell you Thank that you. all the time? Thank you so much. My mom used to say that to me growing up, that exact phrase. <laughs> At which point I would say, uh, no, my eyes are hazel. I'm talking to Chris. Oh. <laughs> Those voices you hear, ladies and gentlemen, David Limbaugh and his beautiful daughter. Do you know that I held you when you were like a little teeny tiny little baby? I did. Yes, I can't believe it. I and now I have a baby of my And now own. you have a baby yes. and here you are. I know. And you're writing books with your dad? Oh, uh, it's a book. A book. And I hope there'll yes. be more to come. Yes, that is the hope. It's it's been such a fun process and very surreal to 
Okay, so telephone numbers. You guys want to speak with David Limbaugh and his beautiful daughter. I just can't get over it. I'm just <laughs> like. You're so sweet. Geez. I have a lot of makeup on from Fox. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, you're a big TV star, too. Oh, yeah. I'm but, a star <laughs> By the way, I have a lot of makeup on, too. David, you need a lot more. <laughs> just, David, it's so good to see you. You David. too. You too. It has been ages. It has. So let's jump in. Let's talk about your book. Let's let's no. Let's before we talk about this book. Let's talk about the fact that you were a skeptic when you began writing. Yes. About your faith. Yeah. You approached it not from someone that was totally convinced, but you took on the the role of a skeptic. You were a skeptic. Yes. Tell us about this. Tell us what. Well, I, this I, is your this is your your fifth book, correct? Fifth Christian book. We've this is your fifth six Christian book, six right. political books. Where I'm just as radical, um, <laughs> not as radical as you, of course. Well, well. More radical than Rush. I'm somewhere in between you and Rush. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay get to the question, Limbaugh. Okay. I uh, I always believed in God, but I wasn't. I didn't buy into the Bible or the divinity of Jesus Christ. But that's mainly because I didn't give it a chance, and I was unthinking and didn't really give it much thought. But when I did finally take it on, I was always curious, but when I finally took it on and studied the evidence, I was overwhelmed by the weight of the evidence, and I became a Christian. So my first book was Jesus on Trial, which was to chronicle my faith journey from skeptic to believer and to go into the reasons that I became that, the the apologetics, Christian apologetics, defense of the faith. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Kristen, well, you grew up, now your name itself. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. In Christ. In That's Christ, what Christian right. means, yes. But have you always been a believer? Have you always, that, did you approach your faith as a skeptic like your dad, or was your experience different? My experience was different because I was raised by my dad, who I would like to call the divine truth warrior. You know, <laughs> he always um, was so dedicated to making sure that me and my siblings knew the the truth of the gospel and that Christianity is the only way to everlasting life. And so I, I did grow up with a strong foundation, but then I went to college and, you know, my focus shifted to career goals and some sorority parties as <laughs> that <laughs> happens. And, you know, and then about halfway through college, I just felt very lost and, um, nothing, you know, too crazy. Just, I, I started feeling a void and I started feeling emptiness. And so, um, I, I actually moved up here for a summer to intern and I, um, God really started pursuing me through a friend who actually, we, we went and had a a glass of wine together, which cost $30 by the way. Where were you in New York? (laughs) Yeah, I was here in New York. Yes. Um, and, uh, so she was sitting, we're sitting there and she just had such a joy and a zest about her. And she seemed like she had changed since the last time I saw her. And I'm like, what's going on with you? And she's like, I have to tell you, I, I started reading this book on Christian marriage and I, and I really feel like Jesus is speaking to me directly. And I, I'm just so I'm, I'm a changed person. And I was truly jealous of what she had and that joy inside of her. And so I said, what are you reading? And, um, so that summer I read the devotional and the books that she was reading and I, 
that was the first time where my faith really became my own and where I truly developed a personal relationship with Jesus. And since then, um, I, I kind of like to call it a treasure hunt with God. I, he's just constantly revealing more of himself to me and uh, really miraculous ways. So um, I, I'm blessed, and I, I thank God that I have parents that laid the foundation and that I didn't have to spend much time uh battling whether this is true or not, I could actually delve deeper at a younger age. And I and I strongly believe that the prayers they prayed for me are what protected me, what um, brought me to my faith. I think that parents praying for their kids is so important and that um, really brings actual spiritual blessings into their lives, that the, the prayers of parents are, are truly powerful. Now, you all know that most of the time we don't do a deep dive on religion on this program. We yeah. don't. We just don't. Right. But we're going to do it today because I, because I want, and, and so those of you who want the news, you got some of it, there'll be some others, but we're going to take calls on a lot of things. But I have to ask you this. We went through, I think it's fair to say, trauma and tumult over these past two years. Yeah. I am still grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even want to talk about it in a way because I'm afraid I'm going to break down and start I know. crying. Same here. Same here. And I do, before I get into that, I want to amend the record, Your Honor. I want to move uh, for your leave as the uh, judge of this tribunal to let me amend one comment she made. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and do it even if you deny the motion. Okay. And that is that she didn't give Lisa enough credit. She forgot in this interview. Lisa was probably more influential in her Christian your development. Wife, Lisa. Yeah. Uh, Lisa's the prayer warrior and just really strong faith. And she never doubted. I mean, well, she was a little kid when she became a believer. And so we both instilled that in her, and but we did it from different sides of the of the equation. I did it kind of from the head knowledge, and she did it from the experiential. Lisa did it. So, uh, and then we sent Christian and the other kids to Christian school, and I think that helped. But, okay, now back to Rush. Um the only reason I said that, in case Lisa hears this. <laughs> I, well, I said parents. So no, nah, no, nah, you dissed her. You pride. dissed her. You have no, <laughs> if I had been gone, you'd have promoted her. It's, just, it's all hypocrisy. Hey, you got to play two sides against the middle sometimes. <laughs> you know? No, but uh, James, R- this... when, when Catherine called me to tell me that Rush had been diagnosed, I, and I don't cry, I, I really am one of these guys, I don't know if it's, false masculinity, but I've never been able to cry. I'm embarrassed to cry. Even though I'm moved to cry a lot, I don't let myself. So I'm inhibited. So uh, when she told me, man, it just... And then from then on, it was downhill. The only thing I can say is what a tribute it was to his character um, and his devotion to his audience, how he handled that disease with such dignity and fought back every... In fact, he even went on that last day he was on he was in no position to go on but that's what he lived for he was so into his he was in love with his audience they were in love with him and by the way i was so touched when i heard your reaction when you heard it when you heard about rush that you were almost immobilized i mean you were so you're such a loving guy anyway and have been so supportive you've been in our family and gosh you and don and everybody you guys were just so devastated i didn't even want to see you because I knew that would be a mess if we got together, but yeah, oh. yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, aside from him leaving every single thing that he could on the table, and I mean, he 
as you said, there were days where he shouldn't have come to work, but he was there. Yeah. You know, I remember um, after the show one day, after the show one day, and you and the funny thing about this is funny. You couldn't tell from the performance that he gave on the air that anything was wrong. I know. Right? His performance was up. It was robust. It was as insightful as ever and all the rest. But after the show was over, he sat there, and David, he couldn't. Couldn't move? He couldn't get up. Yeah. You know, his legs, probably shouldn't say this, but it's nothing that intimate. His legs were swollen, beet red. Painful. I mean, he told me, he sent me a picture, and just the courage he went. He didn't complain either. Right, didn't complain to anybody. Nobody even knows. I'm only saying that to to say how what a stud he was through right. this. I mean, unbelievable. Never let on. Right, but one of the things that he did talk about during this this past year, and he didn't do it often, but he talked about his faith. Exactly. Now, now for the for the thirty years, <clears throat> you know what my screening details were. Okay, if you get calls and they want to start going into biblical or they want yep. to go into scripture, no, you're not. We're not doing that. Yes. This show is not about that. Yeah, there wasn't a hostility toward Christianity no. or any religion. No. It was just he was really strict on the parameters of his show. But the last year of his life, Rush talked about his faith. Yeah, and he talked about it differently than he had ever talked about it before. Well, when you're facing imminent death, it kind of quickens your spiritual uh, reality one way or the other. And he went toward faith and in a big way. And he was a committed believer, very much into it. And, you know, we'd exchange uh, devotionals and Bible studies in that last year and a half, and even before that, but during the last year and a half, a lot. And uh, he he just, it was it was really gratifying to see moving to me to see that development part of the reason he didn't want to talk about christianity on the air was not that he wasn't a believer but that he knew that he wasn't very knowledgeable about it and uh, he at least he used to tell me that because he hadn't studied it that much and so he wanted to be he was nothing if not an expert as to the things he talked about so he wanted to be the best he could be and he didn't want to to get into that that much publicly. Mm-hmm. It was a private thing for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a very private person. He was. People don't realize it. Very but, private. You know, I've not just private, but I don't want to say shy, but he wasn't an extrovert by any means. Now, when he, when he turned the mic on, oh, my gosh. Boom, it flowed out. But it wasn't. It's, I, I, I'm careful to... It's caution. not like he was, he not, was not being a hypocrite. That's there right. was nothing no. fake about no. it. No, no. Okay, this this persona was one persona. That's it. But he had to be comfortable. Number one, he had to be comfortable with you to actually even be relaxed with you right. and not guarded. Right. And he had to be guarded because at every step of the way, he never knew when whoever he was talking to could take something misinterpreted and go out to the press with something. And he was very aware of his public persona and what it meant. So he was he was necessarily guarded about that. But when he was relaxed, he could be funny with you. He could be uh, and have rip roaring. But he still inside was his own. He kept his own counsel. He did. Uh, and uh, when he was on the air, it was it was like his audience was his family. And he just I, I don't think he was ever more comfortable than he was there. But he was born to be a broadcaster. 
It's, exactly. And we used to, I, I've told the story ad nauseum, but he had this Rimco Caravel my parents got for him, which is a little electronic device ahead of its time technologically that allowed him to broadcast on the, on the AM airwaves inside our house. And so he would do shows, and my mom and I would listen. He'd be upstairs, and we'd listen downstairs. Our face is wrath. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But, he, you know, he, he, he'd, put, he'd turn down the volume on the Cardinal game or whatever baseball game, and he'd do the Dizzy Dean. He'd do the announcement or the broadcasting. And he wouldn't do it at the show. I swear it was almost like he was reincarnated as some great broadcast because he, he didn't learn it. He just knew it he instinctively. Knew it. This is what he was born to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Again, if you'd like to be on the program, 800-848-WABC's number to call. We're coming right back. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. DC. I tell you what. Yeah, I saw them on Saturday. I was at Wembley for the concert. Yes, I was. ACDC turned it out. Okay, Rush turned it out. Omar Hakim played with Rush. They reunited. You yeah. gave me a CD of his. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, good. And you were on it. I wrote some of the songs. Yeah. I wrote. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But we were at Wembley over the weekend. He yeah. played with um with the Foo Fighters and with <laughs> Yeah, it was awesome. Bob Brown is here, our news guy. How are you? I'm good. I have no headphones, but it doesn't matter. That's all right. Welcome to okay. the Limbaugh Show. <laughs> with Pleasure. David and Kristen. Yeah. Pleasure to meet everyone here. You too. Uh, I just I wanted to chime in. I know you said come into the studio. I just had a quick thing I wanted to see you talking about Rush baseball listening to him. He was a big baseball yeah, fan. Yeah. Well, I remember him telling stories on the air and he was not shy to say when I was between radio jobs and not all radio jobs go. No. Like no. you want them to do. He worked for the Kansas City Royals. That's right. Wanna tell the audience about that a little bit? Yeah, he and, and that's where he became good friends with George Brett. Even when he Rush was a nobody and George Brett treated him like a real human being, a great guy. And then they <laughs> They became good buddies. And later, I remember the story Rush told me, Rush and George Brett and some others are in some restaurant, and this fan comes up to Rush and George Brett, you SOB, you're bigger than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like from what I I would hear him on, you know, I'd be driving to my local jobs, I would work in a bunch of stations in South Jersey, and I would listen to him every day on my drive down. And it sounded like he really, it wasn't just a job until he got the next radio job, although... He loved radio, but he really enjoyed working for the Royals. He did. He did. And, and, and he made a lot of good friends. He was in group sales. I mean, it's, he would sell tickets to groups of people. But I think it was a great experience for him. How long, it, or I'm nothing sorry. else to drive him back to his true love. How long was he in that job for? Do you remember? A couple of years? At least. I would say four. Had to be four or five. He, he was in there a while. And it wasn't, he wasn't. He wanted to be in radio. He always wanted to be. But he was a rebel. And so when the program managers would tell him he had to do certain things, he didn't do it. And he admitted that. He just, 
But, you know, ultimately he was vindicated because finally he found a program manager that let him be him. Mm-hmm. Let and, him do the show the yeah, way he wanted yeah. to do it. And that was in Sacramento That's when right. his career soared from there. The and, rest is history. And I think according to one of the books I read, I, it might have been Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the PDs there or one of the people in programming that says he's one of the few on-air personalities, or maybe the only on-air personality, that never complained about going after his shift, taking all the commercial reads and going back to production and putting them together. He would just collect it under his arm and do it. A lot of the jocks supposedly complained about yep. it kept them late. What are you smiling at? Hmm. Guilty. <laughs> interesting. Right? right? How yeah. interesting you is that? You have to go do your production after your shift. Because I was in the studio right? after the show was over. So that may have been oh. the case in the early years. Oh, I agree but, with you. I, yeah, because what, after, what the show, is he after the show, let me tell you something. He won. If there was a lot of production, remember, Kit oh, used yeah. to Kit yeah. used to always dress it up. Yeah. Kit Carson, our chief of staff, because he would always tell Rush, you know, what, what he had to do after the show and everything. Kit would always say, "Ah, oh, Rush, I have nothing for you today. I have nothing for you today." Oh, oh, but but one thing. And then and then like and then this thing and then that thing right. and just Tricky every then. day he would do this. But it was it was like a lunch and pale workmanship attitude. He just yeah. scooped up the work and and he went back to his production. He loved radio and yeah, did his work without complaining. Another story. We need to perpetuate that fiction. It makes him look good. Doesn't it? <laughs> I, I, I think I got this right. I'm not sure, but he said it might have been. He might have said it on the air or in the book. I can't remember that he growing up. Never wore a pair of jeans. Oh, that's a fact. Right? That's that a fact. is a fact. Right? And, and, I, and I never didn't wear jeans. <laughs> never so owned a pair of never, jeans in his life. We were the opposite. Like, he was always an adult from the time he was five, right. and I was always a kid until today, still. I mean, it's, but as we got older, even though, you know, I'm like a little annoying little brother to him, the, you know, he was always affectionate, didn't show it much early on. We got older and older, closer and closer and closer and closer. And, and it's weird. You kind of merge into the same person once you get it to be an adult. Everything fades away. But he was like an adult child in a way. He right? was, oh, no, totally. I, I, can, we... I can picture him. I really can. Walking down the hall. Mm. That's all right. It's a telephone. Who's getting in a call? It's okay. It's, it People is... get calls nowadays. It was weird. He always wanted to hang around with the adults, too. My Did dad he? and listen. Yeah, he was always interested in serious stuff. And that's more a compliment than an insult for me. But, you know. He, he it was it was fascinating that you remember that about the jeans. Yeah. The jeans, right? <laughs> yeah, well, never on the pill. Okay, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the book. Okay, Wonderful. I promise. What book? Your book. Oh, oh, I forgot. That's why we we're here. I just okay. can't remember. And your telephone and your telephone calls to eight hundred eight four eight WABC. All that coming up. Ay ay ay. The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's so easy to fall in love. It's so easy to fall in love. Buddy Holly, birthday boy today, right? Born in 1936, I think. I didn't even do the math. He'd be old today. That's what he needed. He'd be old to keep being an old guy. You know what, another pop phenom that died with him on that? Richie Havens. Valens. Richie Valens. 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 O'Donnell. Remember that yeah. song? Yeah. Boy. And there was somebody else on that There was. Too. I can't remember. What a bunch of prodigies. Was it, wait a minute. Where was Roy Oberson? No, that wasn't. No, I know. Not on the plane, but where was he that day? I don't oh, know. I forgot. David, you remember this kind of like 
corny, like 1960s kind of rock and roll. Oh, totally. Late 50s, 60s. Yeah, not only remember it, I like it. How nerdy does that make (laughs) Let's do the twist. Yeah, Chubby (laughs) Check. Let's do the jerk. Let's do the book of Remember Little Eva? Remember the locomotion? Of course. My favorite song. And uh, Neil Sedaka breaking up is hard to do. What was Rush's favorite? He... Ricky Dink, remember that? Ricky Dink, we used to play that as bumper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk about your book for, for a few moments. You say that you want this book to inspire faith in everyday people. Yeah. What about Resurrected Jesus does that? Well. And why why the title Resur- I know you did the, the, the previous book before this was Jesus is Risen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now it's resurrected Jesus. What's the difference between the resurrected Jesus and the Jesus that rose up out of the dead? I, I cannot. I'm not trying lie. to be funny. No, no, but I'm not either. Mind. I cannot tell a lie because I'm my parents nicknamed me George Washington. That's not true. I can tell a lot of lies. But let me tell the truth about this. This book is about seven of the Apostle Paul's epistles. In the last book, I covered the book of Acts and six of his epistles. These are the other seven. The titles are kind of just a denote that's about Jesus and just different ways of saying the same thing. They're, they're parts of the same gospel. Uh, and so I think Regnery likes to get Jesus in the title because it will let people know this is an affirmatively Christian book and it's pro-gospel. But it, you're right. Jesus is risen and resurrected. Same thing. There's no difference. Okay. Christian, what do we need to know about this book? How, what do you want to inspire people? What message... First of all, mm-hmm. how was it working with your dad? Was- I mean, so this is like, okay, my dad, the guy that used to tell me, go stand in the corner, <laughs> maybe once in your life, yeah. and, and uh, yeah. or yeah. something. Well, mom played bad guy more of the time, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, dad and I have always had a great relationship. I mean, my mom and I, too. Um, but, um, no, it was, it was actually a great process writing with him. I'm not just saying that. I was very pregnant for the majority of the writing process, and he was really gracious with me and set realistic deadlines um, and coached me through it. And um, we, we went through each other's um, insights and added to one another's um, insights. And it was, it was a fun process truly. And um, a dream come true for me to be able to be published and especially for dad to bring me in on his already successful career, I think, you know, shows that he had faith in me, which was encouraging to me. But um, what we hope, this book does is that one, it'll help people uh, feel that the Bible is approachable to them. That if if they are reading the Bible and they find it confusing or, or something doesn't make quite make sense, or if they want to get some more historical background, we've provided that. Especially, Dad has provided that um, with his deep study, and um, we've also contri- contributed prayers, which I think think and hope will help people um, really apply scriptures to their personal lives and they'll help it'll help them develop a conversation an ongoing conversation with God and help them understand that God wants to use them for his purposes and that um, he can use them in amazing ways and every single person was designed that way by him so I hope that people um, are no longer intimidated by the Bible, that they'll be encouraged. Well, Paul has an interesting story. I mean, here's yes. the guy that was a Christian hater. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, let's let's kill the Christians. Let's mm-hmm. get rid of them. Let's, let's, let's pick on the Christians. I don't like them. 
And all of a sudden, you know, on the road to Damascus, here he is, and the lightning comes, boom, I'm blind. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, his, his testimony, he's talking to Jesus. That's right. And, and, G- and, and then it all changes from there. It all changes from there, and he becomes the fiercest, most effective evangelist in history, Christian evangelist. And he uh, plants all these churches throughout Asia Minor and, and the rest. And then when he sees some of these churches deviating from the true gospel, some false teachers creep in and they start preaching untruths, it enrages him and concerns him. So he writes letters, these epistles, to bring the church back to the true gospel. And so these epistles end up being doctrinal statements as well as encouraging letters and and instructions for Christian living. They become doctrinal statements, some of them, about what Christianity is, what it means, the resurrected Christ. And and, uh, so Paul lived it out. And, and and he suffered. He was in prison. He wrote four of these epistles from prison in Rome, and uh, it's just an encouragement. And and he's so fierce about the truth. May I take on the role of skeptic for a moment? Yes, sir. Because I because I also study and I get this too, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things that has always plagued me is timelines, mm-hmm. right? Okay. You know, we're told to believe these four gospels. And yet when you look at the timeline of where they were supposedly written and the timelines that they were supposedly, and who wrote them, actually, it gets confusing. Well, And there is, to me, unless, I've, unless I miss something in there, there is no definitive answer. Then, not through yet, then you look at the simple equation of what was left in and what was left out, and who left it in and who left it out. Right, so I've read like the Nag Hammadi. I've read some of the other things with some of the books that have been left out. You have the Dead Sea Scrolls uncover the the Gospel of Judas, mm-hmm. which I found fascinating. By the way, with little of it, first of all, I didn't really understand how we could extrapolate so much from a few fragments. But never mind that. What I found interesting in the Gospel of Judas was that actually Judas wasn't a bad guy. He was doing the work he was supposed to do. And so if you're looking at all this stuff, all this information, how do you get to the place that you, that you get to where you can say, all right, this is the definitive story. I, I nailed it. Well, I think there's a lot of disinformation. And there, I think Satan is, has been out to destroy the church from its inception. There was not a big controversy about what the canonical books were historically. The early Christians accepted the canon as it was. Now, there's some deviation from the apocryphal books, what Protestants call the apocryphal books, that the Catholics end up accepting. But, uh, and I don't get into Catholic versus Protestant. I have great respect for Catholics. I, I am a Protestant. Christians a Protestant. But I don't think there's nearly the controversy about which books were divinely inspired as the Bart Ehrmans and the other skeptics writing the critical scholars, critical scholars, will lead you to believe. Think of them as leftist propagandists, disinformation. <laughs> I mean it. And, and I think the, 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 if you accept the, the canonical version, these Gospels were written much earlier and before than people think they were. And they were written, uh, they were spread by the word of uh, mouth earlier than that. And that was their tradition. And the early church accepted these. 
And Paul wrote his books way early, before the Gospels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the Gospel writers, except for John, wrote them within 30 years of Jesus' death. And then the, the church fathers reaffirmed these things. There wasn't that much controversy. Today there is because left and well. Uh, anti-Christian forces have a vested interest in stirring disbelief and chaos and falsehoods, in my view. And I have a strong view. (laughs) (laughs) David, what a roll. On fire. Um, I have not done as much of the the studying as Dad has done. I I would say that um, God is also accessible on an experiential level, and he's, if you ask— you will receive. That's what the Bible tells us. I you. read one of you, I read an article that you. That you, you did. Wrote. Oh, which yes, one? it I'm was so about how you can. It, it is about. Let me paraphrase mm-hmm. it for you. You can question yes. God. Mm-hmm. You can question and have that conversation yes. with God. Was the point of your article? Don't be afraid to open yeah. a dialogue, to have a conversation, to ask questions, to ask if you're unsure of things. And that's, so, yeah, that's exactly right. And um. When you do, you'll be amazed by what God will will reveal to you. And um, through a miscarriage I had, um, God gave me a very tangible sign of his presence and his purposes in my life. And actually, the fact that I wasn't going to understand why that, why I had to go through that. But he um, He made it so clear to me um, through through a cypress tree, something as simple as a tree, the name of a tree. And... Um, because That's of the kind of numbers story. of coincidences. The numbers of it's coincidences. It's a bizarre he kept, thing. He kept bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up, and I just knew it was his hand and that he was telling me that. Um, you can tell when you're being talked to. You can yeah. tell the signs. Yeah. When yeah. You, yeah. Yes. So I would encourage people who are, I mean, I encourage you to study as well, but also to have that dialogue with God well, himself. The, the other thing is if you read the Bible, you'll realize and study it, how unified it is, despite the fact that it's written over 1,500 years with mm-hmm. 40 different authors of different geographical backgrounds, different languages, and yet it all tells one story, which is God's creation of mankind, mankind's fall, then God's sending his son to die for us and redeem us so that we could live in eternity with him. Um, and he created us knowing we would fall, knowing that his, he would have to, his son would have to take on human form and be forever fully God and fully human in one being, not half God, half man, fully both, and come and experience the indignities of human existence. Be imagined like a human being becoming a fly. Jesus was perfect God, is perfectly God with the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and he chose to create us anyway, even though he'd have to come down here, be spit on, ridiculed, tortured, killed, and separated from the Father and his holy love all so we could live, even though we're imperfect. Never forget how much God loves you, loves us, and uh, you'll realize how, how profound all of this is. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, with you. That voice, David Limbaugh, we're coming back. David and Kristen Limbaugh with us here. We'll be back in a moment. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurley on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Remember, catch the night up next here on WABC, celebrating 100 years today, 100 years old, WA Beatles C. There's going to be a hangout later on, super secret location. A lot of the WABC alumni getting together. 
It's going to be a funky time at the old place tonight. I tell you what. David Limbaugh's here. Kristen is here. Let's talk for a minute about what's going on in, in, in the country. The implosion of the country, you mean? I get asked all the time, what would Rush think? And we talked about this. I don't know. I have no idea because whatever you used to think he would think, we'd all wait. And when it was a big story, we'd all get in there. We'd be looking and just waiting for him to open them, waiting for the mic to open. It's like, okay, let's see, number one, is he going to talk about what you think is the big yeah, news yeah, story yeah. anyway? Because I cannot tell you the number of times, <laughs> oh, he's going to talk about this first thing. And that's not what he talked right. about first thing. And secondly, if you think you knew what he was going to say, when he opened his mouth, it was something completely different. Yeah. A different thought. So I don't know what he would think. But I would have to think that he would be flummoxed with some of the things that, that are occurring in this country right now. Well, you know, he and I and uh, every other right-minded conservative with any insight at all knew that the left, if they were feeling their oats and thought they could get away with it, would get more and more radical and extreme. Obama was radical, radical, but he only did what he could get away with. People go, oh, these these people are way more radical. No, they're not more radical. Obama's probably still running behind the scenes anyway. He he, Obama was so disingenuous when he talked about I believe marriage is between one man and one woman. No, he didn't. He and then he then two then two months later, I'm evolving. I'm evolving. What 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 do you, what do you and it was such a fraud. And and they and they can get away with it. But you know, I, I wrote this book uh, in 2019 or whatever about politics and, and predicting. If, if they win, it's going to be unbelievable. Rush talked about it every day, how bad, how bad it's going to be. What, the only thing he might be surprised about, uh, and I don't know, I'm with you, he's more creative and insightful than I'll ever hope to be, but he might have thought, like I do, that we never thought it would accelerate in warp speed the way it has. I mean, we knew that they would do as much as they – we're talking in two years, they have gone nuts we're talking attack on God's created order with gender confusion. We're talking wide open borders while lying to our face about it. We're talking about almost encouraging China to eat our lunch when and and we're reducing our military. We're allowing fentanyl to come in and kill 100,000 people a year. We're celebrating abortion. We're demonizing truth. We're demonizing people. Everybody that represents people, for example, Biden. No, I wasn't talking about all Trump Republicans. I was just talking about the extreme. No, he's you lying. You were talking about every single one. Ninety-five percent of, of us are Trump Republicans, and the other five percent aren't Republicans at all. Anyway, they're a bunch of libs. These never Trumpers. They don't have. There's not a conservative bone in their body left. Most of them. I think the biggest scandal in human history is the COVID scandal. Oh my! From so many different angles. First, we have the angle of the medicines that worked that the left and their media said didn't work. That's right. And how many right. people could have been saved from that? Mm -hmm. Then you have Nate Silver from 538 saying, well, wait a minute. We could have had the vaccines out here sooner for those people that think vaccines work, except people were pressuring Pfizer not to release it before the elections because they didn't want Trump to get any credit. Yep. So mm -hmm. the lives there. Then you look at the nursing home scandal and how what the policies were there. Then you look at the lockdowns, supposedly based on science but not science. Then you look at funny things like, where did the money go? Who's paying for all these billions of dollars? How come the NIH cannot tell us whether their doctors like Fauci are getting, like Dr. Fauci, are getting 
uh, uh, revenue royalties mm-hmm. from these. They won't. They it it's, they don't have to tell us, and they won't. Then you look on top of all of that, and you start to see whether the vaccines work or not. Now you have all of these this rise in deaths of people that are in between eighteen and right. and forty five. That they oh they just died suddenly. Oh they died. Oh they're dead oh, suddenly. And why? Yes. And it's not just that it, in some cases doesn't work. In fact, it doesn't work to prevent the infection. Uh, it hurts, affirmatively hurts me. We know it's anecdotal, but the only reason it isn't corroborated formally in peer review is because they won't allow it. The scientists are all politicized. It, it, this is such that's another thing that's going on is everything is politicized. Law and order has been has gone to hell. Uh, deliberately, right? What, what this is? But you ask me what Rush would think. I tell you with confidence what he would say. He would say that this notion that there's not going to be a red wave, that the Democrats are creeping up on us, is pure, unadulterated propaganda. We are going to kick their rear ends, and we and it's going to be big, in my opinion. Wow. Well, there's so many people now saying that the anti-red wave, of course, is the Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't think, if you look at, at one more, by the way, I can't jump off COVID without saying this. Yeah. Gain-of-function research. Oh, my gosh. China. Yep. All of a sudden, after an unsuccessful trade war where Donald Trump actually, his leadership, won a trade war with China, the next thing that happens is this COVID disease. That's right. And there's been no accountability at all in the world and, ever. And a refusal to make them accountable. Right. And yet we coddle Russia? Are you What a lie that was. They do affirmatively coddle China. And why? Corruption connections? Well, you don't even have to go there. Just look at the facts. Exactly. Biden. And environmentalism. Look at that extremism. We're sabotaging our own energy production, which means people are going to die in the winter, at least in Europe. This is a global insanity. You die in the winter if you can't afford to get your oil and natural gas here in the United States in the winter. You're in trouble. What about the elderly on fixed budgets? Unbelievable. That they tell us all the, all these years they've been telling us these are the people that Republicans want to kill. They're actually raising prices so these people cannot afford their food. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to heat their houses in the winter. Yes. I don't understand how anybody votes for Democrats. I don't get it. it the, it's objectively insane. To vote for Democrats these days. Yeah, I said it. That's quotable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. David Limbaugh, it's so good to see you so in great person to see you, again. James. I mean, yeah. Ving Rames. Ving Rames, we've got the meats. <laughs> so good. Yes. I told James, I told him, call him on the phone one day and say, When did you start doing Arby commercials? And he knew what I was talking about, and you would immediately identify the actor being raised. It's uncanny. You have to admit. That's what you guys people tell twins. me this all the time. Oh, my voice twins, I mean. Yeah. yeah. David, you have to come back. I'd love to. Yeah. And let's spend some time, and let's do both. Let's talk politics. Let's continue to talk about the resurrected Jesus. Where can people find it? Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and every other place that sane bookstores would have it. Yes. Kristen, will you? this is your first book with your dad. Are you going to do another one? Yes. We, we hope so, yeah, Lauren. Yeah, absolutely. There's our publicist here. She can give... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and are we, we also going to delve our toe into politics? Uh, I don't. Maybe one day down the road. But for me, I just stick to Jesus for now. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> David, thank you so much. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Back tomorrow. Thank you. Uh, right. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. We'll be back tomorrow.
See you then. Bye. Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.